Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. episode of the Believe in Oregon football podcast and since we're just two days away from the season kicking off I'm not going to waste any time before we bring on my guest he's been in the trenches since day one of fall camp covering the Ducks he's my co-worker at Scoop Duck he's Jared Denny and we're going to jump right into it Jared what stood out to you from the organizational chart that Oregon released earlier this week Mm. To be honest, Troy Franklin, and that's I wrote a little longer uh, bit of a story on him this morning. I just think it's it's such a fascinating um, aspect right now. Um, it's it's so hard to break into this program as a true freshman, obviously. And you have a guy who's come in here and um, kind of just listening to the coaching staff over the last few days. He's earned every rep he's been given, and this isn't a case of. I mean, I know there's a little bit of injury stuff going on in the receiver depth chart, but this is a guy who has absolutely just flat out earned that number one spot at the exposition. And I just think it's going to be so fun to kind of see what he can do um, in, in a college game. And I'm sort of trying to temper my expectations um, because he's, he's a true freshman, but I just think this, this guy is kind of the limit for that guy. Yeah. That you just rolled right into my next question was, you know, Oregon really has lacked a true number one guy at that position for a long time. And they had Dylan Mitchell in 2018, but you know, he had such little talent around him that any sort of an off game, Oregon didn't have a chance. So watching Franklin, and you've had the chance to watch him up close and, and practice earlier this month before they shut down reporter access. So when you're watching him, how different does he look than anyone else on the roster? I mean, obviously you have a guy like Devin Williams from a size standpoint who is still bigger than, than, than Franklin, but just the way he moves, I mean, he looks like a kind of guy that easily would show up at Alabama or Ohio state. And you say, yep, no, he, he belongs when you, when you watch him play. I mean, just how, how much does he stick out at a place like Oregon? Might, might be the better question. Yeah. I think the thing that's kind of caught my eye is just the fluidity of movement. Like it's, this is obviously a less specific thing. And um, he obviously has incredible measurables and he's six two, one seventy, and um, really lean and just super rangy, but he just kind of looks like one of those guys who's like biomechanically perfect when he runs. Um, there's, I don't know a better way to describe it. And you're right. There, there are some absolute dudes in that receiver room. I mean, Devin very well could be the guy if he ever um, kind of gets a whole healthy season behind him. Same with Michael Pittman, same with, I mean, Jalen Red and Johnny Johnson are incredible um, assets for a program to have, but he just looks sort of different out there. <laughs> I don't know if I have, I have the best way to explain it other than he just looks really fluid and everything he does looks so easy and smooth. 
want to take a quick pause here to remind you that it's that time of year again where all eyes are turning into the football as the teams are back on the gridiron ready to start the season. And as always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, contests, including online's biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL survivor contest, which are open now at Bet Online. Just head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. Take advantage of their opening day super promo. Just make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded. Up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using promo code NFL100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Him, Dante Thornton, Isaiah Brevard, and you can even throw Maliki Matavau and Terrence Ferguson, the tight ends in there. The, the three receivers, though, specifically, they remind me so much of when Clemson took that next step around 2015 because they had always been a program that was knocking on the door. They were good for nine or 10 wins every year. They had like Taj Boyd. And then, and then when, when Deshaun Watson took over at quarterback, obviously he helped propel that. But when they, they, their, their receivers that they were lining up when they were playing Alabama in the national championship game, I mean, Mike Williams, uh, I can't even think off the top of my head now the receivers they've had there, but that to me is when that program went to the next levels, when they really exploded on the recruiting front of getting top dudes at receiver, like top 50, top 30 players in the country at that position. And I think that these three at Oregon have the potential to be that and have that kind of impact and probably earlier than, than we think. I mean, obviously Franklin's going to be starting day one, but Thornton and Brevard, they're not that far behind him. No, and anybody who watched the first scrimmage, I mean, they saw Brevard absolutely ball out, and it seemed like him and Robbie Ashford had an incredible connection. And I know there were instances where they were running against the twos and the threes, but, I mean, Brevard, on, on that day at least, and I know it's very anecdotal, he looked the best out of that bunch just from a production standpoint. And people have, people, I mean, Oregon's coaches have been lumping Thornton and Franklin and kind of together whenever they talk about them. So those two, like, kind of where they are at on the depth chart. There wasn't a lot of separation until a few weeks ago. Like obviously Franklin has seems to have separated a little bit, but you're right. That's that the Clemson um, comparison I think is really appropriate. It's just such a talented group. And I don't think Clemson, I mean, oh gosh, now I'm trying to think back to who's on that team. Sammy Watkins. Like on that Sammy team Watkins is the name that just popped in. Yeah. Him and Mike Williams. I mean, you think of those two guys specifically and it's, yeah, that they were, they, yeah, they came in and they just, they totally flipped the narrative of that program and, and they went out and, you know, when, when, you don't necessarily have to be a six foot four receiver, but you can be a guy like Franklin. I mean, I believe Franklin's about six, two. I mean, he's 170 pounds. If he's soaking wet, you know, he is a small guy, but you talked about it. It's the way he moves. It's and, and, and Brian McClendon, the wide receivers coach talked about it too you know, some guys just show up and they're just dudes from day one. And he seems like he's got that not only physically, but upstairs as well. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, but I just think something like 
it's almost like this Oregon receiver group is split into two different groups. You have the super seniors with Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red, and then you have this talented, talented um, group of true freshmen. And I mean, there's obviously something in between, but there's not a ton of between. With I mean, you have Deva, Devin, and Micah, and a few others. But it sort of really is a case of like, okay, you can run Johnny and Jalen out there and have guys who have been getting it done for years, or like if that's not working for any reason, then you have just this insane, insane um, crop of talent that I, I think maybe two, three, four of the programs in the country are recruiting receivers the way that the Ducks are. It's it's just kind of like unprecedented. I can't wait to see it. And uh, any success they have this year will help just keep those recruits coming in for 2022 locked in even more because as good as this re- receiving core could be in that 2021 class of receivers, 2022 might even be a little bit better. So certainly it'll be fun to watch Mario Cristobal. He he talks a lot about not putting too much emphasis on the organizational chart. And there's a reason they call it that and not a depth chart because it's very fluid guys can move around, not even week to week, but really day to day, depending on how they're performing in practice. When it came out on Tuesday or excuse me, Monday, a lot of fans were, not too happy to see a few players atop the chart at their position, mainly guys like Ryan Walk, Camden Lewis, Drew Mathis. And it's not personal against those guys just as people, but more of the idea that the big time recruits maybe on the offensive line have yet to unseat the inc- uh, incumbent like Walk. And Ryan Walk is, if you, you know, fans don't know, he's actually a walk on and he's starting. And I think. The perception is if Oregon's going to take the next step, they can't go into a place like Ohio State and win a game if you're having a walk-on offensive lineman. True or not, that is the perception. So is Oregon looking at not just walk, but the the unit as a whole, is the offensive line, in your opinion, going to take the next step this season? Or should we expect primarily the same unit of guys that played last year and then hope for improvements amongst themselves? Well, yeah, first off, I think the Ryan Walk slander, like I have no no idea where some fans are coming from with that. I mean, the guy was incredible last year for, um, I mean, most of the season. And you're talking about a guy who, I mean, he was the Pac-12 Offensive Lineman of the Week at one point. Um, Maybe he doesn't quite, you're right, he doesn't have the pedigree that, um, obviously a, a lot of the young incoming guys have, but this is still a guy who's 6'3", 293, and just because he didn't have a four-star next to his name. Like, if he had had a four-star next to his name when he arrived in Eugene, I'm sure everybody would be just as pumped on him. I don't know. Maybe I'm a little off on that, but I think if Ryan Walk is um, starting on your offensive line, you, you're still in pr- pretty darn good shape. Um, but to kind of answer your question, um, I've been trying to get a feel for that too, how short the offensive line rotation or how long it's going to be, how many of those guys are going to cycle in. And kind of if you're listening really closely what Mario said yesterday during his presser, I don't know if they entirely have sorted that out yet either. And I think that's something that's going to be a matter of how many guys stay healthy and maybe situationally it'll be advantageous to extend that rotation to seven or eight at some point. But I mean, I think when you're bringing back your entire starting offensive line and your entire kind of group of six from last year, um, you kind of just roll with that until it proves they prove to you that they can't do it. Yeah, and him and Mirabal have have stated over and over. I mean, they they'd like to get to the point where they go nine deep with guys they feel could start day one, but you know whether they're they're not you know there yet or not, you know yet to be determined. And that's where it's nice having an opening game like Fresno State where. 
ideally about midway through the third quarter, you can start getting some of those backups in there. And then obviously Stony Brook in week three, potentially even Arizona, the, th- the fourth game of the season. That should be a game where come halftime, third quarter, you're getting some of these guys, the minutes and the reps that they really need to find out what you have. And also, as I mentioned, you know, the, the chart comes out, people get upset. Henry Callaman's going to start, right? Unless there's going to be a mutiny on, on Mario's hands the first time he sends Camden Lewis out there and he misses a field goal. I mean, there, there's no way he's actually can go that route after the way each guy performed in game last season. I think you're right. I think um, it's probably an encouraging sign that um, Camden Lewis has done enough during this camp to kind of make this a quote unquote competition. Like during the open portions of practice, there hasn't been a lot of kicking going on. So I, I really have no information as to which of those two have performed better. But I guess if this is sort of um, a way for Camden Lewis to rehabilitate his um, kind of place with the ducks after kind of some of the struggles he had last time he was consistently kicking, then that's really good. Um, if, um, Cattleman gets injured, then it's great to have a backup kicker. But I think you're right. I think there's no way that Cattleman's not not kicking come, um, come Saturday. Yeah, I mean, having two legs that you can rely on is certainly not a bad thing because, I mean, k- kickers get injured too. So you just, you never know. So yeah, if Lewis has rehabilitated himself, that would be, it would just benefit everybody. And And he obviously stuck around because he feels that he has an opportunity to win either win the job or you know be be there and be the guy I've called upon so it's just it's kind of funny when you see that and and to think of as much as Cattleman became sort of this cult hero last year that he would then start the season as a backup but there's I I, I think there's I'm with you there's no way it actually happens it's just kind of funny to see people's reactions one more quick break in the action here to talk about exciting news our podcast The Believe in Oregon Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network is partnering with PlayActionPools.com this season to bring some interactive fun to the sport we love most. You'll be able to get in on the action with our PlayActionPools.com Football Pick'em Challenge, which is open to everyone. Here's how it works. Just sign up for our contest, Believe Football Pick'em, that's Believe, B-L-E-A-V, at playactionpools.com and then get your picks in each week. We're going to select the 10 highest profile games of the week between NFL and college football. Whoever gets the most picks correct each week will win a pair of electric sunglasses and a pair of DC shoes. Again, go to playactionpools.com and sign up for the contest Believe, B-L-E-A-V, Football Pick'em. And... If you plan on hosting your own football contest, go to playactionpools.com today. They've got Survivor, Pick'em, as well as cool sportsbook-style concept called Build Your Bankroll. Playactionpools.com, your new home for all your office sports pools. Fresno State, they opened the season last week against UConn. They rolled. UConn is barely an FBS program, probably not as good as about half the FCS programs they could play. But since they have a game under their belt, I I sort of envision a scenario on Saturday, much like when Oregon opened the season in 2018 against Bowling Green. They fell down 10-0, looked very sloppy, like they hadn't got their legs underneath them yet. Then they ran away with it. What should fans' expectations be on Saturday, knowing Fresno State's played, knowing Oregon hasn't, and that it's going to take them a few snaps, potentially, or a few series to get things going together? I think it could 
could sort of be a situation that you described where like you said like a bowling green type thing um i mean fresno state has an absolute dude it's ronnie rivers their starting running back is a stud like one of the 10 to 20 best running backs in the country i would say um with that being said i think this oregon team is just so so hyped and like kind of overly excited to get out on the field i don't think you're going to see any sort of letdown in the first quarter I think this is a group just talking to the Justin Flows and Alex Forsyth and those sort of dudes. Like they just want to get out there and play. Um, maybe not having played last week has a little bit of an effect, just getting out there and kind of getting used to the feel of the game again. But I really, really don't see um, Oregon kind of looking sloppy or lackadaisical in any way. Yeah, I actually I actually worry about the physical well-being of the first player that gets hit by Justin Flo if he's got a clear shot because I mean this is a guy that's wound so tightly even if he had been playing <laughs> and now it's essentially been, you know, December of 2019 since he's had any meaningful snaps. So when he gets to really uncoil that first time it it might get a little bit ugly. Yeah, no kidding. I think just ask Seven McGee after that first scrimmage. Um how how excited he thinks Justin Flo is to play football and <laughs> you'll get a pretty straight answer. Yeah. yeah, I get asked a lot about how fans should view the Ohio State game next week. We're, we're going to jump ahead just a bit. And I say that anything less than being competitive until the end would be disappointing. If you want to be one of the big boys of the big programs, you have to look like you belong on the same field as them. Not not win. You don't necessarily have to go into Ohio State and win, but you you shouldn't look out of place. You shouldn't look like like Oregon State went to Ohio State a few years ago, hung tough for a little bit, and then by the end it was very clear they did not belong on the same field as Ohio State. In your mind, is Oregon ready to go to Columbus and really compete, like to put themselves in a position where even if they lose and they run the table, the playoff committee can look at them and say. Yeah, they really do belong. I think so. I think this is, I mean, I think you're right. There's, there's been games in the past. I'm, I'm talking the past 10, kind of 15 years where kind of some of those, those big um, top 10 matchups. And there were just times where the Ducks would kind of look physically outmatched. And I don't think that that's the case anymore. I think that no matter what happens, um, they're always going to be able to physically hang in a game with anybody in the country just because of the way that Mario Cristobal has built this roster. So I, I don't anticipate them in any way getting blown off the field. I, I don't know if I'm ready to hedge a bet on um, who's going to win that game yet. Um, maybe ask me next week, but I think if anything, they're absolutely going to um, hang in there and give the committee something to think about if they run the table after week two. All right, let's, let's do some preseason predictions and I'm going to throw out scenarios and I want you to come up with the first player or situation that comes off the top of your head. Team MVP. Oh man, I'm gonna go with Cape on tip now. Cop out answer. I know, I know it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's almost it's too easy. Like I like it, but I, I agree with you. But by the way, but yeah, it, it's you know when's the last time Oregon's had that player? I mean, you could probably say Justin Herbert, but then you also had someone like Troy Dye who was there that same team. It's really it has been a long time where they've had someone that is just so much better than everyone else at his position around the country. But he really is that guy. It's true. And I mean, talking to him impactful media today, he's talking about some of the guys that he idolized, like Quill Mack, Vaughn Miller, um, some guys that he's kind of 
shaped his game after and he just sort of looks every bit like one of those guys at this point <laughs> um I, I think it's just going to be like how how good good of a season can he have like are we talking one of the greatest seasons in program history are we talking sort of top three in the heisman ballot by the, the time we get to that point in the year it's sort of just like how far does he want to go he's sort of in control of that i think mm-hmm. Yo, yeah absolutely and he clearly comes across as the kind of guy who's going to do everything he can in his power to get there. Let's factor in both the 2020 kids and the 2021 kids for this question. So at the end of the season, who's Oregon's freshman of the year? I'm going to try not to say Troy Franklin because we've <laughs> well, you can, yeah. Cause you can bring in those 2020 guys too. So I'll, I'll count it. I'll even count a guy like Sewell, even though he obviously is not a technical freshman anymore. He still is according to them. So you can take in any guy from the last two classes, at the end of this season, maybe that'll make it a little bit tougher for you. If I'm avoiding Troy Franklin, I'm I'm saying Justin Flo, which is maybe also a bit of cheating, but he's also, I mean, he's technically number two on the organizational chart right now. I don't know if that's exactly how it's going to shape out kind of um, reps wise, but I, I think he's ultimately going to end up taking hold of that job and just have a really, really good season next to Noah Sewell. I've written about it a few times already, but I just think that's going to be such a terrifying um <laughs> linebacker duo for the teams to have to deal with and i i mean we talked about how much how much fun justin has playing i think he's going to have so much fun playing in this system and i think you're going to see that expressed in the form of a lot of tackles for loss and a lot of big hits and a lot of like really disruptive plays i also saw that uh, there there's an actual prop bet uh based on how many personal fouls he'll get this year because he'll just be <laughs> especially at the beginning of the year when he's learning to harness and play within himself Probably, you know, probably one of the reasons why Drew Mathis was named the technical starter in the organizational chart. I mean, as excited as we all are about flow and as much as the coaches talk about how, you know, dominating he can look, this is the kind of guy he's going to have to reel it in and play within himself in order to really stay as part of the defense. So he's going to be good for a lot of big hits and a lot of highlights, but there might be some, some times where the coaches have to pull him out a little bit and say, All right, you gotta, <laughs> you literally need to calm down or else you can't go back out on the field. So uh, next prediction, when we reach the finale, wherever the season ends, bowl game, playoff game, whatever, who's had the third most carries on the team. Now that can be a guy like Anthony Brown, based on the system that Moorhead runs? Is it the third string running back? Who steps up there and really helps CJ and Travis carry the load? I think I'm going to, I'm going to go with Anthony Brown just because I don't have a good feel yet for which of those three running backs behind Riddell and die is going to end up getting the lion's share of those carries. And I mean, I'm, I'm really optimistic about um, seven McGee and he's, He's just had such a good camp. And every time I talk to somebody about him, they just tell me some like new, amazing anecdote. Like today I was talking to Travis Dye and he's like, yeah, his, his cuts are better than mine already. Um, and he, I mean, he was serious. <laughs> so um, it, it's a matter of, just, I mean, how much run does he get with the ducks this year? Um, but I don't know if I would kind of stake my bet to him because it seems like they haven't quite taken off the kid gloves with him yet. So let's go with Anthony Brown for that one. And final regular season prediction record record prediction for the regular season. Oh man. I think they only lose one game. I haven't. You're not 
come back to me um, on that. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's funny. I was supposed to, um, tomorrow is the day that I'm sorting through kind of doing my schedule prediction stuff. So I, um, oh, okay. I, I don't feel like I can give you an honest answer yet. No, that's a, that's a perfect segue. So, so if you want to know Jared's answer, go to scoop duck, which was going to lead into my next question of just introducing yourself, telling, telling listeners where they can find you a little bit about your background too. You had a really interesting journey after college to, to wind up back at scoop duck. And then just talk a little bit about your work, work back here now that you're in Eugene and, and have joined Justin on, on the staff and, and what people can expect from you going forward. Yeah. So for those who don't know, um, I'm a University of Oregon grad and I worked at the Daily Emerald, the student paper. And that's sort of where I got my start and um, covered everything. Um, started out covering like Oregon men's tennis, Oregon women's tennis, golf, kind of all, all those things. And eventually worked up and became the sports editor there and um, ended up covering football. And it was a blast. It was the last Mark Helfrich year was the last year I was there. So it wasn't all that. Just a vastly fun. different scenario now. It was. It absolutely was. It was fun in its own ways, um, covering that team. But it was definitely more of a like, look at this absolute trash fire, um, sort of way. And then um, from there, graduated, landed an internship with MajorLeagueBaseball.com, and covered the Arizona Diamondbacks for a summer, which was sensational. It was awesome, a dream come true. I'm a baseball guy, so it was very much sort of what I always thought my dream job was. And then came back to Oregon. Actually, figured out, finished up a few more credits. Um, I kicked it around Eugene for a few more terms and uh, then landed another internship with MLB, moved out to Minnesota and covered the twins for the full season, um, which was awesome. And it was also kind of a nice um, look in the mirror of, do you really want to spend the rest of your life trying to cover um, sub 500 AL central baseball teams that <laughs> are basically miserable after July? Um, it's it's some of it's, I mean, it's awesome. It was really fun, but it's also can be kind of a, a grueling experience once you get into August and September. So, and then eventually I just came home to Oregon and ended up doing some freelance stuff and kind of some exciting projects on that front and um, landed the Corvallis Gazette Times newspaper where I covered um, Oregon State football and baseball for the last couple of years. And then fortunate enough to um, link up with Justin and um, end up with Scoop Duck and On3. And it's just, I mean, it's just been so much fun being back in Eugene and kind of covering the team that I grew up rooting for and um, it, it just feels a lot more um, like I'm home now, you know. Jared is a, a byproduct of Scoop Duck's new partnership with On3. On3 is a new venture by uh, Shannon Terry, who you probably know from his days starting 247 and, and, and Rivals. And he's, he's done all, he's the recruiting guru. And uh, On3 is his new, his new pet project where he essentially is trying to create a new a new galaxy for these websites, these fan sites to come on and, and give college football fans another resource to have. And, and he's hired Ivan Mazel and for his national coverage. And part of that is he brought on, he's starting to bring on fan sites and scoop duck was lucky enough to, to work with him. And, and we're all a part of that, that process now. And, and the added resources and everything is allowed Justin to bring in a guy like Jared, who, you know, we're all very lucky to have him around here now is super talented and, yeah, it's funny. I want to I want to go back real quick as you talked about it. The 2016 season, I actually got to cover a game from the San Jose Mercury News. They called me up and they needed someone to go and cover that the Oregon Stanford game at Autzen, but cover it from from you know from a Stanford standpoint. That's the first game I've ever covered for in Autzen from another perspective. Usually, when I've gone there, I've been covering the Ducks, and I've been going to games since 1995. 
not a season has gone by that I haven't been to at least one game. I had season tickets for a lot of years. That afternoon, it was a gray afternoon. Oregon was not remotely competitive. It was very clear by that point in the season that Helfrich was a lame duck coach. They would go on and beat Utah a little bit later in the year, which some people thought maybe gave him some life. That day at Autzen was one of the more surreal days. Now, obviously, people that have been fans of the program for a lot longer will laugh at this notion because there were a lot of very long, very boring days in Autzen before Oregon really took the next step. But that day was as close to a dull, boring, almost uncomfortable environment. It was 50,000 people that made absolutely no sound, had no interest had no excitement at all the program really at that point felt like it had reached the bottom the lowest point it had felt in you know a a very very long time as a college student covering that game be interesting your perspective and just that entire season they were two seasons removed from the national championship appearance what was your perspective on was it more of a situation of like wow this thing really just kind of came to a crashing end or did you think, okay, they're a move away and Helfrich can go and they can bring in someone else and this thing can be, you know, they can write the ship a bit or, or what was your overall takeaway from that season? Well, it's so funny. You mentioned that game. I think now that I'm thinking about it, that was the last Oregon game I covered in person too. Um, and I'm thinking back now, that was like the game that Cameron Scarlett went off for Stanford. Mm-hmm. It was McCaffrey, Bryce Love, and Cameron Scarlett, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they just ran, they must have run for 300 yards that day between the three of them, I'm sure. But um, kind of to get back to your question, um, my overwhelming memory of that season is Brady Hoke and like listening to Brady Hoke at Media Day and listening to him kind of at pressures throughout and just never feeling inspired whatsoever that this, that this thing was going to work. And I think there was so much, maybe some early optimism when he first came in. It's like, oh, like that Brady Hook, like Oregon got a guy like that. And it just, I, it never clicked. And um, aside from that Stanford game, kind of the memory I have is sitting at Helfrich's last presser um, where everybody had kind of pre-written their story that he was going to get fired. And then he ran out there and talked for like 10 minutes and answered questions, but he did not necessarily know the status of his job or if he still had a job and I remember him walking off the podium and I just felt so sorry for the guy, um, which, which is not something that, I mean, obviously you're supposed to feel as a journalist all that often. I mean, it's good to have empathy, but it was just such a sad situation. Um, and I think that kind of just epitomizes that whole season. Like it never, it never felt like Helfrich's job was safe. It never felt like he had things going in the direction that they were supposed to. But I mean, I mean, all the while you still have you have Justin Herbert, and there's a true freshman who I'm looking at the line now. I mean, against Stanford, he was 21 for 30 with 274 yards and two touchdowns. And I remember him making just some absolutely insane throws that game, and thinking like, okay, like this isn't great right now. Oregon's three and seven or whatever they were after that, but um, Herbert's going to be incredible to watch. And I think I was at least obviously right in that aspect of that they sort of got things turned around um, almost immediately after that, which is a lot quicker than anybody ever thought it was going to happen. Yeah. And you know, Helfer just, you know, he's a nice guy. You won't find a nicer coach in the profession. You know, one of the true guys that just looks everyone in the eye and shakes their hand. And I think, I think that from, from that perspective is why, you know, it was hard as a journalist and as a fan to watch him go, even though it was apparent that that was the right decision. I mean, he, you know, he was handed the keys and 
it just, it didn't work. And some guys are meant to be coordinators and some guys are meant to be head coaches. And I think it all worked out for the best for Oregon and probably for Helfrich as well. I think he'll, you know, he's, he's back in the broadcasting booth now, but it won't be long. I'm sure before he's up in the press box, uh, offensive coordinating some program. Cause he, he's very good, very talented in that aspect. You can find him on Twitter at Jared underscore Denny. That's J A R R I D underscore D E N N E Y. As we said, he covers all things ducks for scoop duck. Uh, now on the on three network, it's on three.com backslash Oregon ducks. Jared really want to thank you for taking the time out today to, to chat with us. We're heading into the season. I, I cannot believe that we're two days away. I, I feel like I say this every episode, but it just, it feels like summer just started and all of a sudden we're here and, you know, you, there's that big buildup for fall camp. And then before you know it, fall camp's half over and, and here we are seasons get going. So would love to have you back on throughout the season. Looking forward to all your coverage at scoop duck throughout the year. And uh, again, just thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. Oh, of course, man. I appreciate you. This is great. As we mentioned, the season kicks off in two days. Now, it's an 11 a.m. kickoff at Autzen on the Pac-12 network. But if you're at Autzen, as a reminder, since there is a vaccination or negative test requirement to get into the stadium, show up early. The last thing we want is for the first kickoff in almost 20 months to take place, and then half the fans are still outside trying to get in. Everything will be slower. Everything will be different. And as the season progresses... We'll learn the rhythm. Fans will get it. They'll figure it out. But for Saturday especially, make your way into the stadium early to make sure that when the team runs out of the tunnel, we're all there to greet them properly. Until next time, this is Joel Gunderson on the Believe in Oregon Football Podcast. And until we hear him say it live on Saturday, don't forget. It never rains in Austin Stadium. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.